Hello, I'm Rob Gillett and this is Show This Thread, the podcast that goes beyond the character limit with the best people on Twitter. On this episode, I speak to Adam Kazari from the Museum of English Rural Life in Reading, now much better known by its Twitter handle, The Merle. Last year, in the absence of anything more appropriate to post to mark International Unicorn Day, Adam shared an image of an enormous and very proud-looking sheep on The Merle account with the caption, look at this absolute unit. The post went viral, earning more more than a million engagements and tens of thousands of new followers for the account, transforming the Merle's presence on social media almost overnight. Since then, its growth has continued, fueled by tales including the discovery of a chicken wearing trousers, a bat seeking refuge in the museum's archive storage, and a bizarre identity swap with Elon Musk. I went to the Merle to find out more and began by asking Adam all about the day the now world famous Absolute Unit was born. On the 9th of April last year, that's 2018, um, I'm sure you know that 9th of April is International Unicorn Day, because who doesn't? And in that time-honored tradition of museums shoehorning their contents into any random hashtag in a kind of desperate bid for relevance, we thought we should find something for International Unicorn Day from the collections, which you'll find a lot of museums doing, to be honest, and we're no exception. I was hoping to find a picture of like, you sometimes find sheep growing strange horns out of their heads, like in the middle, like unicorn sheep. I was hoping we'd find something like that in our archive photographic collection. And what I found instead was this Exmoor horn aged ram, which is just such an impressive beast. It is just a sheep with presence. And instead of tweeting anything to do with International Unicorn Day, I just tweeted, look at this absolute unit with that picture of a sheep. And a lot of people did, did look at it. But it wasn't particularly planned. We've been doing a bit of meme content beforehand because young people are meant to be one of our target audiences. And we're trying to experiment with different ways of making the collections relevant, basically. Um, but this is the one that really kicked off. And we did not have a strategy for dealing with that. But we had this opportunity to either leave it by itself. If it got over 100 likes, it probably would have still been our most popular tweet ever, but we chose to run, uh, to run with the absurdity of it instead. We're asking people, should we just now become an account that tweets thick and fat animal photos and paintings? I think about 20,000 people voted yes, that we should just do that. So we had this campaign of essentially just talking to almost everyone that tried to talk to us, creating new memes, putting up strange animations of like the sheep floating outside the planet in space just getting a little bit weird with it, which I think people liked because it was not what they expected from an account like us. So just to give a bit of context, I mean, how many followers, followers did the account have before that tweet? And then where were you, say, a month later? Uh, we had about 9,700 followers before April 9th. And by the end of the month, we had about 33,000, which is, yeah, stupid. Hmm. I think we had about 3,000 engagements on average a month. And we had one and a half million alone in April. So it was a step change for the Museum of English Rural Life. <laughs> I guess one of the key things of that is that when something goes viral, it doesn't necessarily translate that you get that follower growth. So some people can have a viral tweet and their account, the minute it has minimal growth. But actually it sort of appears that people almost wanted more from you. They'd seen this and, and wanted to kind of... Wanted more yeah. of this. 
It's a little bit because as a museum, you kind of expect us to have more when it's just like some 16 year old kid from Milton Keynes who happens to do one funny tweet that gets a million engagements. You don't particularly want to hear anything else that kid has to say unless they're consistently good. But we're, have you ever heard of a milkshake duck? It's the idea that people get crazily, uh, people go viral essentially, and then uh, five minutes later you realize that person's a massive racist. It's just that horrible, oh, this has done really well, but that person's just filth. And we were very concerned that people would think we were just a meme account. And then they'd suddenly realize, oh, Christ, I'm following the Museum of English Rural Life. Why am I following a museum just based off one stupid tweet? So we did actually try quite hard to, uh, to make sure that we were pumping out enough stuff to show that we were worth following after that original tweet. So not just things to do with the sheep, but Fred's introducing people to the museum, but in the same tone of voice. And we're saying things like, here's our wall of tools, and no, it's not a wall of your ex-boyfriends, but just trying to show people that they could invest in us a little bit. I mean, the, more, the biggest worry for us was actually whether people would stay following us after the original month, but they did, which is good. Well, you haven't had to worry about that because it's kind of, that success has been repeated a few times since. And um, you've had the chicken wearing trousers. Um, and then only last week, the bat, which um, just, tell, just tell everyone a bit more about the bat and where that's gone. Really cute bat. So we have an archive store, which is where we store most of our um, like rare or at least sensitive documents, which need to be stored properly. Which um, bats are not meant to be able to get into. In fact, nothing is really meant to be able to get into it, but bats can really get into little nooks and crannies. And this bat must have crawled in and we didn't notice it for days until someone just noticed it like chilling above a fire exit. And we didn't know how to deal with that. So it was essentially, there's a bat in the archive, what do we do? And it turns out one of our volunteers, who used to volunteer at the university library, works for the Bat Conservation Trust in her spare time. And like, um, she has this room in her house where she nurses bats back to health. So she came in, she safely got the bat back to her house. She's been, she was feeding it back up. In fact, it got too fat at one point, so she had to lay off the mealworm and rehydrating it. And we released it only last week, I think, because it was finally warm enough and the bat was okay enough that we could release the bat. Um, but we just did a Twitter thread about this and explaining all the migratory habits of that bat and how people can look after bats. And we also gave its own library card as well, because just in case it comes back. And you've given it a name as well. Oh yeah, it's Merlin, because of our acronym Merl. That's really sad. Um, and, and one of the things I noticed following that last week is that you, you're not only putting out this kind of quirky content, if you like, um, but you're really actively engaging with people when they reply. Like you, you reply to almost every single tweet that you get. How do you approach that? How do you manage it? Um, barely, because it's getting to the point where there are too many people talking to us. And originally we wanted to talk to everyone because we see Twitter as an arm of the museum's engagement. I mean, it's, it's obviously a marketing platform, but at the same time, we exist to engage people with history and culture and collections. So it's in the same way that if someone came into the museum in person and asked us a question, we wouldn't just stare at them blankly and not say anything. We would respond and be friendly and try and get a conversation going about what they're interested in. 
So it's just taking that same approach. It's trying to be the same friendly face we put on in our galleries on Twitter, rather than treating it as this weird, we'll never talk to you platform. Obviously, all of this has, has raised the profile of the Merle on Twitter. Are you seeing that translate into people coming through the door? Yes. I can't put an exact number on it, but I think we've had a 50% increase in visitor footfall, 2018 compared to 2017. We're only just doing our first year of like properly asking people with spot surveys how you've heard about the museum, that kind of thing. But anecdotally, we've had, it's crazy, we've had people telling our reception staff that they've come from America or Japan for a week in England, and they're usually just in London. And their one day they have spare, they're coming to Reading to see the Museum of English Royal Life. They're only coming because of the Twitter. Like, that's the only reason they're here. They're not coming just because they want to hear about plows. But they're walking through the door and saying, show me the absolute unit. Yeah, and we do actually have it on display in a drawer. So if you come, you can actually see it on display. I guess one thing that interests me as well is the other side of the equation. So you're going out on Twitter with this stuff, which is, I mean, to some people presumably involved in the institution, makes no sense. So how have you sold that in internally and what, what's the reaction been like there? Yes, a lot of people still don't understand what's really going on. They just know that it's a good thing. And a lot of the, a lot of the reason it's been okay is because it has all been positive, but we haven't had any negative feedback online or from the university or from any stakeholders. But we also did a big push before. Well, we've been gradually building up our digital marketing. So people kind of already understood what social media was as a theory kind of thing. But we made sure to count, well, to have all the data, this much engagement, this many impressions, all of these features in the press, all of this qualitative feedback from, um, especially from other museum directors. The chief executive of Arts Council England tweeted saying we're his favorite Twitter account. That kind of thing works really well for our director. She might like the numbers, but actually to her, to hear someone she respects saying that's a good thing, is almost as good as any data that we can put in front of her. What we've been trying to do since is work in a more objective first way. So not just saying we're doing stupid things on Twitter for the hell of it, but being very upfront and saying this is all raising awareness to do something more useful down the line. Is it important that you do have that buy-in from everyone, even if they don't understand exactly how it works or what goes into it, that you feel that the the organisation is kind of literate in social media and is understanding how one thing plays into the other. It's kind of part of parcel of a digital transformation, which we're trying to do alongside all of this other stuff as well. Because ideally, social media should be part of everyone's jobs. Because if our point is to communicate to and work with the public, and they are predominantly on social media, then it should be part of everyone's job. To, if not... Um, actually be writing the content for it because I think it's quite important to have that funnel through the voice and get it into not crap content but they need to at least be producing the stuff to be turned into that good content because it would be a travesty if the Twitter account was only talking about like my experience at the museum because we're about 30, 40 staff all doing different amazing things and things like the chicken and trousers and the bats only happen because staff realise social media is something worth doing and bring those stories to me to turn into something. So if I don't get the buy-in, I don't have any stories. I can't do my job. Do you feel any pressure now 
when things come along and are presented to you or can you put this on Twitter? Are you thinking, how do I make this funny? How do I put this through this sort of filter that you've created, which is working well for you? There's not too much pressure, mainly because I'm just really comfortable with the tone and I know the stories are good. So there's no point having the tone that the accountant has if the stories are crap. And I know that we just have years and years worth of content in the museum. And as long as I'm comfortable with some things failing and some things doing well, that's fine. A lot of our stuff just falls flat on its face. And it's almost getting over that crippling self-doubt that comes from things failing, which has taken a long time. Because before the Absolute Unit, we've been shouting into the void for years, sometimes doing very similar content to what we do now, but no one cared. A lot of it was right place, right time. And now, because we've had all that, those years in the wilderness, we're just happy that anyone finds anything we do funny. What do you think is next for the Merle and, and how do you plan to build on this success? We really need to be bringing more stories from around the museum into the account rather than it just being me talking about what I can get my hands on. It's a weird one because we often get people saying we're a very wholesome account and we're almost like a break from politics, which I think is a very important and I'm very loath to throw that away. But also the museum isn't all about um, nice things. Like the countryside isn't just about nice things. We do have an obligation to explore difficult issues like Brexit and um, how we farm and intensive farming and all the rest. The only reason I don't talk about those things at the moment is because I'm not, I don't know enough to talk about it in the kind of interactive way that we try to. So I'm trying to work with colleagues to almost get a steer on those issues so that we can explore them without throwing away all of the goodwill that we've built up. And do you think there's an opportunity around uh, this stuff, these kind of, it's almost like you're, although it comes from an archive and an original source, you're kind of creating like intellectual property around these things by repackaging them on Twitter. Um, and I, saw, I half expect to walk in here in six months and see your gift shop full of stuff that is branded up in line with this just because of how quickly and, and how big the following has grown. Yeah, that's my dream actually. In fact, it's the biggest failing we've had, but it's only because we're not set up for it. Just being able to react quickly enough to get merchandise out there that people, people actually say to us, we want to buy things with the absolute unit on. But because we're a bit sluggish in our systems and our capacity, we just can't get out fast enough. But yeah, we are turning them into new things, but that's what museums should be doing anyway, because the internet is its own culture almost. It's its own context. And a thing which, things in museums usually have their context in the galleries and that's in history and in the context of the museum. But if you then just copy and paste that from a gallery onto Twitter, it won't make as much sense because Twitter is its own beast with its own way of talking, its own things it finds interesting. And we're just really trying to adapt to Twitter rather than making Twitter adapt to us. The, the second thing that you put up that went viral pretty quickly was uh, a, a chicken wearing trousers. Just to, to explain that, where it came from <laughs> yeah. and, and where that then went. Our archivist, when she found this doodle of a chicken in trousers, she very upfront said if, she'd have, if it had been left up to her, she'd have just put up a picture of that chicken in trousers and said, here's a chicken in trousers and left it at that. But how we found that chicken was we had this mathematics book from the 18th century used by 
Richard Beale, who's just a 13-year-old kid from Kent, I think, just farming Kent. And we'd recently acquired the book, and this archivist brought it to me and said, there's some nice doodles in here, you might be able to do something with it. And as I was leafing through this fairly standard-looking book to begin with, he was just doing quite nice mathematics, nice handwriting. But then you started to see that he doodled, and he started doodling more and more as he went through his maths. He was doodling ships and his dog and hunting scenes, things from his life. And immediately this is just something we want because this is mathematics book, who cares? But doodling in a maths book, everyone can relate to that, I think. It's what automatically makes the content good for the internet, just having that hook. And then finding this chicken in trousers, when you find that, you know it's going to do well on social media. But I didn't want to do what that archivist would have did, did, which is just go straight for the money shot, I guess, which is just, here's a chicken in trousers, isn't that funny? Instead, it's trying to get across what I love about working in an archive museum, which is that sense of discovery, of leafing through history and then finding this, this almost like moment of, ah, connection across two centuries almost. So we set that up as a thread where we said, um, come on this journey with us, I think. Like, we command you to come on this journey with us. It'll be worth it in the end. And that's almost to get people over the stuff we have to say, which is like, we're an archive. Here's what an archive looks like. Here's a book. Who cares? We've been promised something at the end. And then into the meat of those doodles and then the payoff of that chicken in trousers, but also interspersing it with our personality. Um, even with a, this wide-eyed dog saying this dog has seen some shit, which is definitely not normal for a museum to swear like that on Twitter, but it felt like we kind of grown our following and we knew our followers and we thought that would be okay as a one-off. And that story got picked, I think it was retweeted by JK Rowling and that kind of thing. Well, it's that's just... an endorsement, isn't it? If you're the right <laughs> story. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we actually invited her to come down to the museum, but she just ignored us. I'm too scared to send her another message in case she just doesn't follow us. <laughs> but it's our idea of just putting in the extra effort and putting in the personality rather than just here's content. Yeah, you, yeah, I mean, what you're doing is giving this full narrative. But that's very, I mean, that's a really creative approach. And I think I was saying to you before we started recording, like, I, I, that's what I'm so impressed by, is just that layer of creativity on top of, of the, the Merle itself is what's really working hard for you. And I think that's really difficult. And I think you seem quite breezy and, and, and oh. chilled and sort of not, it's... you know fussed by it but actually I think that, I think what you've done is really impressive in that respect. It's weird because museums, libraries and archives are essentially storytelling institutions. It's what we do in all of our other work and yet somehow when it comes to the internet everyone freaks out and they stop trying to put that effort in or they try and overcomplicate it but it is just telling stories in the right way for the context of social media. But I think for us also, it's starting from that assumption that everyone finds everything we do really dull. Like, I think museums do take themselves a little bit too seriously and they think everything on social media should still be in the same kind of serious, this is high culture tone that we use in almost everything else. But we're a museum of English your whole life. Like, people already think we're dull. Unless, I mean, obviously some people don't because they're interested in farming and agriculture and all the rest. But the vast majority of people we know think we're just dull. They would just see our name and instantly turn off. So starting from that assumption means we try really hard to make people interested, which usually means trying to hook them in and um, trick them into finding things interesting, or at least trying to adapt it to things they'd find relevant, whether that's 
memes or just classic storytelling. We know if we just put up a picture of a plough, no one's going to care. How much of what you do is planned out in advance and how much are you doing reactively? Oh my God, like probably 75 to 80% is reactive. But it's because we're so busy otherwise that most of our planned stuff is just the classic come to this event, those kind of posts. But I think I can only get away with being that reactive because I know the collection so well. And because so much of our content is easy to hand, we have it all digitized, we have it all keyworded. I know what I can use on social media and what I cannot use on social media. So it's really easy when something comes up or if I get an idea, I can just adapt the content really fast. So since all of this has happened, how have things changed for you? Are you being asked to speak at things, help other people? Is it sort of gone outside the sphere of museums and libraries? A little bit. A lot of it has been sector conferences. I've done quite a few of those and it's usually just what the hell happened, telling people like the process, the thinking behind it and how we reacted to it all. But um, even got to go to Chicago, which is nice. fun. It's very nice. It's a bit weird as the Museum of English Rural Life in Reading and constantly having to explain where Reading is, is fun. I've done a bit of consultancy with other institutions where they've wanted to find out how to get a good tone of voice and how to get the conditions for it, that kind of thing. But um, not too much outside the sector, actually. I've seen a lot of people take notice of it, but they've never actually really approached us and asked us what's going on. Well, you haven't got that much time because you've got this Twitter feed to manage. <laughs> um, worth mentioning as part of this that you're, you've got a lot of stuff up on Medium, which is yeah. really helpful and kind of breaks down all of the stuff we've talked about into, into sort of different processes and ways and your thoughts and how social media can be done, definitely worth yeah. people looking at. Well, we try to be really open with it because I think too many people, probably in this sector and every other sector, are too afraid to not pretend they have it all together. Whereas I think with our blogs, we try and say, we are just trying these things out. We have messed up on these things. We don't know what we're doing in a lot of cases, but we're just seeing what happens. And I think a lot more places need to just be quite upfront about that. That everyone's sort of making it up as they go along, trying to do best practice and then stumbling onto things at work. I think if, everyone, if more people just wrote honest blogs, that would help everyone else in the sector. Even if it sometimes means saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Wise and reassuring words there from Adam Kazari of The Merle. Huge thanks to Adam for taking part and for putting up with me, remembering how to interview people after a few years out of the game. Uh, it's not quite like riding a bike. You can find the tweets and links to everything we discussed, including Adam's Medium profile in the show notes at showthreadpod.com. If you enjoyed that and want to hear more from some of the best people on Twitter, please subscribe to the podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, anywhere that you're likely to listen to a podcast, really. Uh, and join me next week when I'll be speaking to digital marketing consultant Josh Spector, as well as writing a hugely successful blog and newsletter for creatives called For the Interested, Josh looks after social media for the Oscars and reveals some of the secrets from behind the scenes on Hollywood's biggest night of the year. I've been Rob Gillett. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Show This Thread. Show This Thread.